0: Welcome back to the Sunday Long Read Podcast. My name is Don Van Natta. We're happy to return from our summer hiatus with our first podcast of the fall. And our guest this week is a really good one. Jessica Contrera is a reporter at the Washington Post, a diehard Ohioan and a terrific writer on everything from dog parks to Obamacare. She's a graduate of the University of Indiana and was featured in our Best of 2018 Sunday Long Read newsletter for a story she wrote about the survivors of the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas School shooting. Welcome, Jess, to the SLR Pod.
1: Thank you so much for having me. This is awesome.
0: Well, it's so great to have you here. We're big fans of yours. In fact, Jacob Feldman, my co-pilot on the podcast, has chosen your incredible Chevy Chase dog park story. <laughs> as his favorite uh, piece in the members-only edition. Uh, we're recording this on the Friday before Labor Day. It won't be heard until the Sunday after Labor Day, but in the members-only newsletter that's coming out this coming weekend, he's chosen your piece um, as his favorite. And, <laughs> well, and, tell, it, tell and, and I said
1: thank you very much.
0: Yeah, and it's a terrific piece, which we'll talk about in a little while. But first, I want to start with your background. You grew up in Akron, Ohio. Yes, sir. Yeah. When did you know you wanted to be a journalist?
1: Oh, that's a very good question. Um, so let's see. I, my, my mom is a nurse. My dad is an accountant. They got the paper and then used it to wrap things. And they didn't watch TV news or anything. Um, so I didn't grow up around a lot of journalism, except I had an aunt who was a journalist for a time, um, and we hung out a lot. Um, and I did the, you know, like a lot of journalists, I did the high school newspaper, and um, I was really lucky there because I got to do a story. Uh, that it was about a softball coach who'd had a brain aneurysm, Mm -hmm. and it had really impacted the whole school, and um, so it was my first long, quote-unquote, story, Um, and I felt like I got to really um, understand what that was like from his perspective and somebody who, um, and all the people around him who had been impacted by it, so I'm sure it was... Terrible. (laughs) Um, But I really, really liked it. And and I was really lucky that my my parents were encouraging um, of all of that, even though they didn't really understand what it was that I was doing. Um, And so I started looking at journalism schools and then I went to Indiana.
0: And in Indiana, you were an Ernie Pyle Scholar, which is a big journalism honors program there. And you had an internship while in college at the Washington Post. And we have this in common. I was an intern when I went to college at Boston University at the Miami Herald and got hired by the Herald after college. And you got hired by the Washington Post after you graduated from Indiana. How important was your internship experience in shaping you as a journalist at The Post? I mean, that's a daunting internship to have uh, yeah. at The Post, right? How What was that like, your first days terrified. and weeks there? I'm still Were terrified. You really? <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> well,
1: it's just this place is so, I mean, it's like you look around and it's all of the very best people and then they turned out to be the, the very nicest people and they want to help you. And you're very confused because you're like, are they going to find out that I shouldn't be here? <laughs> um, um, and, and it was awesome. I, I had, luckily I had had, um, like four other internships before I came here the summer after I graduated. Oh so my gosh. I felt a little bit, um, prepared. Yeah. I was really convinced that I was like, I'm not going to not get a job. <laughs> and at the time, you know, when I started, um, when I was a freshman, like that journalism school was very doom and gloom, um, uh, cause it was 2010 and, you know. Situation was what it was, um, and so so yeah. I did a lot of internships, so that helped. Um, and then it was super important. I mean, I I I was really really lucky to work in the style section and be yeah. around some of the best feature writers in the country. Um, and they just let me do things. Um, you know, like my, my first assignment was to go. Uh, it was the last day of school, and so I went to a middle school and weirdly the school let me in which i'm still a little concerned about um and then i just did a story about what middle schoolers were cleaning out of their lockers like that's such a bizarre story but the only like the style section of the washington post is like yes kid go do that So that's I got so really lucky. cool.
0: Yeah, no, that's fantastic. And if you can find your voice early on when you do yeah. stories like that. Yeah. Um, so obviously, mentorship was really important to your career. Who were some of your early mentors at the Post when you started who took you under your, their wing or who oh gosh. You know, really so were? Many yeah. So many
1: people. So many um, people. So, well, even before I got to the Post, I was really lucky because. Um, at IU, um, Tom French was a professor there and, um, he was, uh, uh, both very very kind and very very hard on me and all of us um, and and it was awesome and I learned so much from him and from Kelly Madame um, French his wife who also teaches there now um, so I, ha- I I really was blessed in that way going in and then when I got here um, I had Rachel dry as my editor who's now at the New York Times um, and I was just I mean truly surrounded by in that section alone, um, you know, Monica Hesse and Jan Zach and Krista Thompson and incredible people there. Um, and then I did about two years ago, three years ago, I got to do a six month fellowship with David Finkel, um, which was, yeah, incredible.
0: David, David's an amazing journalist. Yeah, that's.
1: Yeah. And, and the kind of journalist that I, I think, um, strive to be like most and that his writing is really quiet and really powerful.
0: Um... And and Jess, when was it that you actually thought to yourself, you know what, maybe I do want to be a feature writer?
1: Well, when I was in college, um, I had been you know, trying to do as many internships as possible, trying to learn as much as I could about all the different, you know, because they kind of taught you, which I totally agree with, that you should learn a little bit of everything, like multimedia and, um, you know, every kind of reporting. Um, and so I had actually been, my senior year, I was doing a business internship, a business journal internship really? uh, yeah, at the Indianapolis Business Journal, which is a great place. And I was driving up to Indianapolis twice a week to do that. Um, and I was also in this class with Tom French. Um, and it was this really, it's this really amazing class that they do where they get together three classes of writers, reporters, and multimedia uh, students. and. Uh, they put you on teams of three, so you're like this little um, pod, and you, our first assignment was to go out and write a story in 20, like turn around a package in 24 hours. And I, um, my team, which was uh, Anna Teeter, who is now a um, photographer in Indiana, and Emma Gardina, who is a designer uh, here in DC. Um, we all went out to uh, the Waffle House in Bloomington, which was closing, um, and because it was open for, tw- we were like 24 hour story, and it was open for 24 hours, so it sort of made the perfect um, quick story to do, and they were really sweet and welcomed us in. And I turned in my draft the next day, and it was awful, but whatever was in it, um, um, I was really lucky that um, Tom basically said, look, if like, this is really, this could be something if you want it to be something, but you have to put in the work. And I think that you're not gonna have the time to put in the work if you're gonna keep doing this business journal internship. And I was like, well, I can't quit an internship cause like I'd never quit anything in my life and I just sort of felt awful. He did feel awful. And and he was like, well, do you wanna be a business reporter? And I was like, no. <laughs> 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 and, uh, and so, Uh, He kind of gave me the courage to be like, yes, I want to try and do long stories, even though that seems really counterintuitive to everything that I had been told about how I was going to get a job in journalism.
0: Yeah, it is. And that's one of the things I find so intriguing. I mean, you're, you're so young, you graduated college just five years ago, and you've established yourself as a great long form writer so quickly. Thank and you. clearly, no, I mean, you really haven't, you know, you caught my eye with the story you did about the seventh graders sex. Mm. Um, That was, I think, the first story of yours, if I'm not mistaken, that was on the Sunday Long Read. Um, How did that story come about? We'll link to it, but tell me about that story and how you were able to find that story and tell it in such a compelling way.
1: Thanks. Yeah. Um, Well, that year, my colleague in style, Caitlin Gibson, who I love, um, and I were doing a whole project on how technology was changing childhood Um, we got uh, really distracted in a meeting talking about things that kids were doing on their phones um and i feel like that it was it was a couple years ago so it wasn't it was at a time where it still kind of felt like all of the social media stuff that kids were doing was really frivolous Um, and i thought that there were stories to be done about the serious toll it was taking on their lives and on their outlooks and how it would end up affecting the rest of us. And so Caitlin and I did six stories um, split between the, the three of us. Um, and I knew um, based on a story that I had heard from one of my younger cousins uh, about what had happened to a girl at her school uh, who had got caught sexting uh, that I wanted to do that story because even though sexting wasn't new, the story that basically I, that I hadn't read was Um, what happens when you go through a whole ordeal of having your photos shown around your school and you have to go back to that school. So I tried to find that story, and I called all these schools. Caitlin and I had been spent months calling schools and community organizations and police station, you know, departments, and all kinds of things to try and find our various stories. Um, and I actually came across a column um, in a small Massachusetts newspaper that um, had been written about a sexting case where the girl uh, was in seventh grade when her photo was shown. Um, around her school, and then she went back to school, survived that, and the next year the photo got passed around again. Actually, got shown at a party on a PowerPoint, um, and uh, and so she had to go through that twice. And so I emailed the columnist and I said, um, I know that you you know kept this family anonymous, but I'd I'd like to talk to them and see if they'd have any interest in doing something bigger. And she was really nice um, to connect me with them. So.
0: And then, of course, you had to close the deal. You had to go to that family who wanted anonymity and persuade them to go on the record with something that I assume they didn't want public. Right. Right. That's not an easy that's not an easy uh, thing to do. So how did how did you pull that off?
1: Yeah, um, that's so much of what my job is. I mean, uh, so many of the stories that I do are. Uh, just the kind of stories that, like, I think I'm crazy to ask. <laughs> <laughs> um, that I would never, you know, say yes myself, which is the honest truth. Um, but people, I, I don't know. I so I try. I can't remember. I think with that story, it was like a a, a series of conversations that I had with her parents. Um, sometimes I write people handwritten. Actually, a lot of times I write people handwritten letters. Um, and and m- almost all the time they just say a lot of things along the lines of, I can't begin to imagine what it is that you're going through, but I think it's really important. And I think that, um, you know, part- like doing if you're if you're willing to let me try to understand what you're going through, I think that a lot of a lot of people can learn from that. And that kind of applies to, just about every story so it's just some version of that again and again and a lot of times it doesn't work and that's okay
0: yeah and but the pitch is so important that you do it with empathy right and you do it in a sort of very open-ended kind of way where you allow whoever you're trying to get you're basically you're trying to win their trust right and right in any of these things and i and i have to tell you jessica hearing about the handwritten letter I think that that's such good advice. You know, we have a lot of young journalists who listen to this podcast, Mm -hmm. and that's a really, really good approach. Uh, I know Wright Thompson, uh, the ESPN senior writer, a good friend of mine, has used that as well. I've also used it. Um, There is It's much more personal, and it's so rare these days to receive a handwritten letter, particularly from a journalist, um, that it makes an impression. And do you think that that was a big key to to winning that family's trust,
1: yeah, probably. I mean, yeah, I think I, you said empathy, and I think that's sort of the the mode that I operate from. Um, I, I because, there's such a lack of it in yes. um the, the world right now but also with the me also what you know reporters do um because we have to turn out stories so quickly which is an important job and because um there's so much misunderstanding about what people are going through uh, especially people who have been written about before but Actually, no, like, I guess more so people who haven't been written about it just really, it goes across, it goes, it goes to everyone because people feel like they don't other people think that what, what they're going through couldn't happen to them. Uh, and that's almost never the case. Um, and so, so that's usually uh, what I try to explain. And I think that I I over explain what it is that I do to people. Like I will say, okay, so this is why I'm asking this question, or I'm sorry that I'm asking. You know, what kind of shoes you are wearing? I do it because you know, blah blah blah. You know, it actually I always I sometimes give the example of um, actually that that story that we were talking about, the Waffle House story. That I ended up spending a bunch of time on. Um, there was a, a woman in the story uh, who had become um, a hoarder, and and she then her husband realized she had Alzheimer's, and um, and I went i had written that in the story and tom had said well what did she hoard and i said i don't really know and he was like well go back and ask and then her husband said you know clothes and dresses and shoes so i put that in the story and tom said like well what kind of clothes and dresses and shoes and i was like i don't i don't know (laughs) but i went back again and i asked and and he said oh she would buy all these things from talbots And then my mom called me after the story came out and my mom shops at Talbots. And so she was like, is that gonna be me? Am I gonna hoard clothes from Talbots? And if I hadn't gotten the detail of Talbots, if it had just been clothes, she wouldn't have seen herself in that person. Um, and she would have thought that they were different than her and um, and so now I just know to ask from the beginning right um but so but then people think it's weird that I'm asking them all these really specific questions, so I always try to explain that, and I think that helps
0: well there's so many great lessons in your answer there. Jess, I have to tell you, first of all, details. As you know, as a feature writer, as a terrific feature writer, details are so critical. The Talbots is such a perfect example of it. Um, not just a store, but which store, what type of clothing, whether it's a brand label. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was I was taught as a cub reporter at the Miami Herald by the great Gene Miller. He was a two-time Pulitzer winner. Details are everything. You know, it, you you don't want to necessarily just tell me that it's a Ford Thunderbird. You want the year. You want what color it is you want but then you know, it's impossible
1: to figure out which details to keep and which to throw yes out.
0: yeah no that's the challenge too but the way you approach it though jess and i've done this too at times i will ask in the moment for details but then other times as you know if somebody's really if you're really connecting more broadly in a narrative you wait to do it later but what mm. i love how you explained is just how transparent you are, and again, I think for young journalists, that's really important. Um, I've done profiles of people before, and I've gone back afterward, and I'll say, "Okay, I'm going to ask you about seventeen really weird questions." <laughs> you know, like what type. I'm of... I'm always pant- apologizing for being <laughs> weird. <laughs> yes, exactly. I've done that too, and it works. And when you and when you explain why you're doing it, and you and you tell the person, you know, these details really animate the story. That's why I'm asking you what you know color paneling was in your rec room in right. 1976 when you told me that anecdote or whatever they sometimes they'll you know very quickly they'll get into it it's mm-hmm. like okay you know and and those details are just are so critical for you know, great long form storytelling. Um, uh, one of the things that really has struck me about your work is you combine these fun stories like the one you did about the Chevy Chase dog park, which we're (laughs) going to talk about here in a second, but with very serious topics, uh, like the Parkland massacre, which I also want to talk to you about because I, I, found your reporting there and your writing just stunning. And, and again, I could tell that your, your empathy for that particular tragic story really, uh, Shine through. Ugh,
1: but how, how could you not?
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. But how, it's a natural balance for you? Is this, is this a natural balance for you? Or is it really just based on editors and assignments and things that you're looking to do?
1: Well, it's a little bit different now because, um, so uh, last year I switched from the style section of the post to uh, a team within our local section that does almost all narrative and enterprise work. Um, and since joining that team I've done, um sexual assault and kid suicide and a couple school shootings and um this this summer i'm i've been doing this story that um is probably the saddest story i think i've ever done um and i turned it into my editor linda robinson who is the best editor that a person could possibly ask for i could just spend the whole podcast talking about linda um but The next day, so I turn in my draft, and the next day I come into work, and uh, there were sunflowers on my desk from her, and then she assigned me the dog park story. (laughs) (laughs) So I think we both decided I need a little bit more balance.
0: (laughs) Uh, That is fantastic. I love that. Well, I want to stop and talk about Linda Robinson uh, a a little bit. What makes her such a fantastic editor? Because editors don't get enough credit.
1: This is so true, so true, and they work so hard. She works way harder than everyone on our team, and we all work hard. Um, she's she has amazing story ideas. Um, I mean, really amazing story ideas, uh, and she will see them in like a a you know a phrase in the middle of a line, buried deep in a story. Um, and she can, she has the ability to sort of pick those things out, and then she al- she always asks like, "Do you want to do this?" I never have to do anything, which is great, um, except for breaking news and that kind of thing, which of course. Um, and then uh, and then the best thing for me is um, we talk like like all day, <laughs> like too much. We talk, <laughs> um, and but it's it's great because I'm the kind of reporter who um, from. Early on, I want to kind of know where the thing is going, and and I want to try and figure out, especially with these stories where it's like we're dealing with such fraught issues. I mean, you know, um, like uh, dead kids and. And I had this weird company tracking me while I did this story earlier this year. And and just the, the kinds of things that I could never figure out on my own. She's got ton of ex- tons of experience to figure those things out to help me talk through that. And then when it comes to the actual writing, I wanna know where my, like I outline my story obsessively before I write. And so I go over my outline with her and then so, so we both know where it's going. So it's not like I turn in the story and I read it, and we have a bunch of reworks to do, because that would be really hard for me. Um, I I like lay things out in a very specific way um, and so she her being game to talk about that at any point and for me to call her when I get done with a interview or a long day days of reporting and check in um, Finkel was always like that too and which was so you know not not a lot of editors have the time or make the time for it they just want to talk you know talk at the beginning and when they assign you the story and then talk to you after you turn it in but that's just a recipe for disaster at least for me um, so so the being able to just call and say to kind of brain dump these are the things I saw today is so helpful
0: yeah and one of the things I have to say in, in hearing you describe uh, Linda and just in your the way you work with her is I can't remember ever and I've been a journalist now 30 years ever myself doing an outline about a story with an editor Like, I mean, I've I've had great relationships with editors over the years where we talk all the time. And that's that's a key component, I think, to any healthy, productive, you know, reporter editor relationship. But an outline, I mean, I've done outlines before. I've sort of set up the architecture. I've talked very generally maybe about it, but never, I think, as intensively as you do it with Linda. And clearly it works. Right. I mean, she so she signed on to the architecture of the story, the outline, what you're setting out to do before you sit down and write. So obviously there's there's no surprises at the end, at least certainly in the way the story is laid out once you turn it in.
1: Right. And I don't I don't know if that's like that for everyone on our team. Um, You know, I have some really incredible and experienced uh, writers on this team who probably don't need as much help as I do. Um, So I don't know if it's that way. But for me, the outline is really, really important because I don't. I don't and maybe this is like not the place to say this, but like, I don't really enjoy the writing. <laughs> um, well,
0: most most of us don't No, okay. no, <laughs> you know, it's Let's, torture, it's like, often I think torture. I'm just
1: pushing that off to the last possible minute. And then and then I don't have to think about like, when I'm outlining, I don't have to think about like, is this a good sentence, you know, and so I just outline, I like make a very broad outline. And then it gets more and more specific until it's basically a story.
0: Let's talk about your parkland stories. Um, I, I love them so much i and i and we're going to link to them with this podcast. I encourage our listeners to go back and read them uh, they're beautiful bring about the tissues yes, definitely bring some tissues they're very, very hard to read, but they're beautifully done. Thank uh, you. The story you did about Zach Cruz, how did you land that story?
1: okay, so another that was that was a a Linda catch um, basically, I had done this story immediately after the shooting where I went down and hung out with kids. And I, you can't do that and then not have it stick with you. Um, so I've been, th- I've been thinking about a way um, to try and, and write about that again. Um, and right when I was switching on to this team, um, Linda saw a press release um, saying that Zach was going to be in, D- in D.C um because he had been sort of taken in by this um mysterious for-profit company um and he was going to be launching a nonprofit and the whole thing was very bizarre um and so she was like why don't you just go and see if there's like any inroads there at all so i went to the um press conference and i met him and i met um the people who he was uh living with and um i sort of gave them the pitch right and then uh i was promptly uh put off for six months (laughs) so pretty much like every other week for six months of my life i would set up to go there sometimes i would drive down there he was living in virginia at the time um, about three hours from here and i would um, be ready for this interview or session or something that I was promised, I kept trying to explain to them, like, I don't want to just sit and talk with him, I'd like to just hang out with him. Um, You know, I was never directly talking to him. Um, And um, so this went on for literally until that was in the conference, press conference was in June. And then I finally got to him in December.
0: Incredible. (laughs) Persistence pays. Right, every two weeks you did a six-hour round trip car ride. No,
1: it was I. Not every time did I drive down there, but I would set it like. Thank God, yeah. Uh, (laughs) I like set it up, and then I would be the night before. You know, it was sort of like became like a a game. Like when were they going to cancel? And so sometimes it was right before, and sometimes they had very. uh, fair reasons. And sometimes they lied to me. Um, and I figured I only figured that out later um, about certain things. So um, it's kind of hard to explain. He he basically was... Um, you know, after after the shooting, this he was seventeen and was pretty much alone because he had gotten kicked out of his guardian's house. He then got arrested twice. and um, this uh, this company that it is a immigration bail bonds company was in a lot of um, well, under a lot of investigation, I'll say that um, for exploiting immigrants. And while that was happening, they were trying to, Um, do insert themselves into the news in other ways that would make them seem very positive and very helpful to people. And um, so they were doing lots of lawsuits on behalf of immigrants and victims of crimes and things like that. And so they went down to Florida and they um, basically uh, took Zach in and um, he's been with them since then. Um, And they the way, even though he's eighteen, um, all the time that I spent with him was one hundred percent monitored by multiple of their employees um, by an armed guard. Um, mm. It was very it was the most bizarre reporting experience I've ever had.
0: <laughs> Well, the the story uh, that you did is uh, the title of his, His Brother Confessed to Gunning Down 17 People in Parkland, but he's the only family Zach Cruz has left. Highly recommend you read that story. You mentioned, Jess, that first though, of course, you went down in the aftermath of the Parkland shooting and you talked to students there, and and, and that must have just been so difficult. Um, And so I'm curious, what kinds of things do you do to settle yourself after covering something as traumatizing as the Parkland massacre where 17 people were murdered? I mean, what do you do? How do you deal with that in the aftermath of a story like that or stories like that?
1: Yeah, I'm really glad you asked that question because I feel like it's something that I really, really, really wish that um, journalists who do this kind of work talked about more. Um, I feel uh, really, I guess I thought going into this right that like I could do these kinds of stories back to back to back, and I could do it because like I'm tough, and um, and it's what journalists do. Um, and then you slowly learn that um, it's it's out of your control in some ways. Like if you, you know, we're not we're not like uh, you know first responders who get to go on the scene and leave. We're like, hmm, let me pick up your emotions and then carry them around with me for a while and try and like figure them out and imagine what it feels like to be you (laughs) and then try to process them and then move on and do this again and again and again. Um, And so I like, let's see, what do I do? Um, I have a wonderful, wonderful partner who I've been with for nine years, who's amazing and used to all of my many stages of a story. Um, We got a dog this year. So that's the best uh, (laughs) The best (laughs) mental health there is he's adorable and then I started going to therapy like a year ago Um, and um, I have a therapist who gave me a book uh, called trauma stewardship. That's about um, How to do this kind of work long term like how to come face to face with trauma uh, and continue to have empathy and continue to have compassion and not get cold and I, you know I can just so see the burnout happening if I'm not careful um, it, it's just yeah so I'm working on it um, and and I think yeah I'm totally still figuring it out so
0: yeah and of course it helps if you have an editor like Linda Robinson, who mm-hmm. has flowers on yes, your desk. Isn't that when the nicest sw-
1: thing you've ever it, heard I, of? I, oh, my God. That's
0: amazing. I want Linda Robinson to be my editor. You, um, you, you know,
1: have no, many, no idea how many people say that around here.
0: So. Yeah. I mean, you come in and you said this summer you've been working on the saddest story of your career, which I uh, I assume has not been published yet, right? That's coming this fall?
1: Right? Yeah. You, you it, are, it? Next week, I think. Oh, next mm-hmm. week. Okay. Well, we'll see what happens with the hurricane. So, Okay. It's yeah. Done. So It's done. So it may be
0: in the long read next week when when our podcast is published. But but I mean, that's just clearly having an editor like that also helps. Right. Having an editor who's so in tune with, you know, your emotions and how difficult it is to do these kinds of stories. And you said something really revealing earlier, too, when you said reporters are supposed to be tough. That's how we always go into these stories right we're like we're tough it's part of the job description and then but if you have story after story as you've had in a, in a pretty brief career that are really tough emotionally wrenching stories to report and write um, you need an empathetic Editor certainly, and you also need um, tactics for self care, which you mm-hmm. clearly have developed, which is you know really terrific to hear. Um, and then yeah. of course, not only did Linda leave you those flowers, but she gave you the great assignment to go to this Chevy Chase dog right. park, <laughs> which I want to which I want to talk to you about because because you did something. I don't know if our listeners are aware of this, but. You got the phrase "sniff one another's butts." <laughs> Sniff one another's butts is the sentence uh, on the front page of the Washington Post, which is an incredible accomplishment, Jess. I uh, Thank congratulate you, you on that. Thank that you. is that's pretty amazing. <laughs> um, talk about the story. No excessive barking. You know, I saw Chevy Chase uh, actually trending on Twitter uh, the day your story was published. Did you think, I think he it, had died? I did. I was like, oh, my God. I love Chevy Chase, uh, you know, one of the original Not Ready for Primetime Players. And then uh, I realized it was about your fantastic story about this Chevy Chase dog park, which has divided the rich and powerful. And your lead, by the way, I also love. Everyone knows there's a problem with Chubbs. C-H-U-B-B-S is the lead, which is fantastic. Yes, is golden love, retriever. <laughs> yeah, I love Chubbs. Right. You don't know that, of course, at first, if you're skipping the headline. A lot of people don't read the headlines, right? Uh, they just skip to the, the lead or if they do, then who's Chubb? So he's a very cool <laughs> golden retriever. Tell me how that story came about. I know it was Linda's idea, but you executed it beautifully, and uh, and it's such a fun read.
1: Thank you. Yeah, it, um, there was a, a doctor whose wife uses the dog park, and... Um, who uh reached out to a journalist it got passed on to another journalist another you know they kind of got bumped out around over here until it got to linda and she was she passed it to me so basically there's this uh there's this place right outside of dc called chevy chase village and it's one of the most uh wealthy zip codes in america the average uh household income there is more than four hundred and sixty thousand dollars uh and you they built this dog park last year in this little patch of land that a lot of people had been using like a dog park so they just decided okay we'll just make it a dog park and everybody voted for it and it was good to go then the dogs came and then the dogs barked, (laughs) which turned out to be just totally unexpected and, and dramatic and, and the neighbors who, mind you, do live very, very close to this dog park because of where it is. It's just like basically in their backyards. Uh, Some of the neighbors were very, very upset. Um, And so, um, you know, mind you, the way that they express their being upset is that they can no longer sit on their porch and drink their wine. These people are coming from D.C. to bring their dogs here and they're parking where our lawn service parks. <laughs> and so. Yes,
0: the one uh, percenter's complaints. <laughs> exactly. Yes.
1: So. So. Uh, so while, they're, while they're, I do believe their complaints are, are valid, they were just the way that they expressed them lend itself to a rather hilarious story.
0: Oh, yeah. The quotes, <laughs> uh, the guy who says, you know, I want to read my book and sip my wine in peace in the early evening, but I've got, you know, the dog barking and interrupting that. Uh, his quote alone is worth the price of admission on that story. <laughs> and then I also love your line about they put up these no excessive barking signs and, you, of course, you said, you know, they put up these signs, but, of course, the dogs couldn't read, as you say, very high in the story, which also is a hilarious line. It, it's it's one of the best feature stories of the year. We oh, thank here. you. You did a great job, Jess. So everybody should find the link if they have not seen it. Um, as I said, Jacob picked it as his favorite story in the members-only edition that's coming out this coming weekend, Labor Day weekend. But uh, we will link to it here with the podcast. Um before I let you go, I want to ask you which journalists are your favorite sort of must reads these days. Who, oh. are the, who are the writers? I'm sure there's many, but if you could narrow it down quickly, just the two or three that are sort of the, the folks that, you know, when they write a story, no matter what the subject's about, you you make time to read, try to read every word of it.
1: Yeah, Um uh, well, there are so many people here. I'll narrow it by staying at the post, I guess, because there's so much to read. But, I mean, um, you know, Stephanie McCruman and Eli Aslow and Deneen Brown and Monica Hesse and John Cox. And, yeah, I'll just, I'll stop. But but <laughs> there are so many people here. They're um, all
0: great. They're all great. There's yeah. so many and to my, choose from. And I, yeah. Go ahead.
1: The, the The coolest thing about being here is, um, you know, you think it's going to be like this place that's really competitive uh, and journalism can be that way, right? Um, oh, oh, yes. And, sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm sure i don't tell you that. And um, and there's, there's this really cool kind of vibe, um, especially among female journalists here. Th- this idea that, like, you know, when we all do better, when one of us does better. Uh, and so the, um, the uh, endless amount of like lifting each other up that happens in Slack groups where we're just saying, oh my gosh, your story was amazing and, and that kind of stuff or, or being able to test headlines with each other or rant or that kind of thing is just uh, extraordinary and, and gets me through the day. So
0: well it is extraordinary and it's you know uh it, it it i think it shines through i i love the post and you know for my money it's the best newspaper in the country and i'm a, i was at the new york times for 16 <laughs> years but i i find myself of between the post and the times reading more of the Post than i do the times Thank you. Um, yeah and so um but that camaraderie that that sort of ability to lift each other up is so important in the newsroom and it is extraordinary it's extremely rare uh and so it doesn't actually surprise me to hear you say that that exists in that newsroom because you can sort of tell by the coverage that it's um it's a team or it's a team-oriented place
1: oh for sure for sure and it's what you do with the newsletter too so i i so appreciate it because um you know it's it's uh, it's so fun to be able to to watch people's writing grow and change over time, and and I I frankly don't do even enough reading, so to have it all in like this tidy package on Sundays is just so beautiful. Well, so thank, thank you,
0: thank you. Well, thank you. That's really nice of you to say. Yeah, the newsletter is just it really is a labor of love for Jacob and Etienne and everybody. I mean, we have almost a hundred contributing editors now. And Jess, by the way, you should join us. You should be a contributing editor. Would you like to do that?
1: Yes. Of course. we would love to
0: have you. Oh we my God. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I wanted to end this. I wanted to ask you to join us because we love you and we love your work. Oh, and, uh, it's We would be honored. Yeah. We would be honored for you to join our team and uh, you get to guest edit a newsletter sometime in the next year. I promise you it will be. Uh, harder probably than you expect okay um but we're gonna make it fun and rewarding and easy for you and uh so we'll we'll definitely do that down the road so i'm so honored thank you you so much well thank you for joining our team and uh and thanks for doing this i really appreciate it much continued success i can't wait to read your new very sad story you've been working on all summer uh i'm sure it's coming soon i'm sure linda's busy right now putting the finishing touches on it and we'll get to read it very soon
1: (laughs) thank you so much
0: Thanks again, Jess, for being with us. Really appreciate it. You've been listening to the Sunday Long Read Podcast. My name is Don Van Natta. We have been on a hiatus, as you may have noticed, this summer. We haven't had a podcast in some months, but we're back. We're going to try to come back at you every week with a great guest. Jacob Feldman will be back next week with a terrific guest he has lined up. Uh, and. Uh, The Sunday Long Read podcast is a byproduct of the Sunday Long Read newsletter. If you don't know about that, you can find us at www.sundaylongread.com. Every Sunday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Time, we drop in your inbox with a list of the very best journalism from the previous week. It's put together now not just by me and Jacob. It's a cast of about a hundred and some people uh, put it together. It's crowdsourced. It's uh, really become something very special that we're proud to be a part of. And you can subscribe at www.sundaylongread.com backslash subscribe. I want to thank my producer for this podcast, Peter Bailey Wells. Peter, as always, you did a fantastic job. Thank you again to the great Jessica Contrera for her time today. We'll be back soon with another Sunday Long Read podcast. I'm Don Van Thanks for listening.